الجزيرة بودكاست Goals Tackles The Chance The Excitement And Fan Frenzy But behind all the glamour of the World Cup is a great big security headache. The challenges you see, well, they're enormous. From security threats to cyber attacks to crowd management and potential hooliganism. How do you secure 32 teams and more than a million fans? And how is Qatar preparing for it? Hey everyone, and welcome to the Essential Middle East podcast. I'm Sami Zaydan. The World Cup Security Committee said 49,000 government and private security personnel will be deployed to ensure safety. Qatar has been staging simulations and conducting training exercises for security forces. It's also partnering with countries including Britain, Spain and Turkey to provide assistance ranging from crowd control to counter-terrorism measures. Qatar's military has also struck partnerships with several countries, including Pakistan, the UK and the US. They're providing air, ground and anti-terrorism support. Okay, it's time to break it all down now with our guest. My name is Osama bin Javed. I work for Al Jazeera English as a correspondent. Right now, I'm talking to you from Doha in Qatar. Well, you've also covered several security and military events in Qatar. Tell us, first of all, what are the main security challenges a big sport event in the country faces? Well, in terms of security, it is an all-encompassing job where you go from street security to fan zones to stadiums. And then you draw your circles bigger and bigger until you get to national security and borders and maritime borders and airspace, etc. So this is something that in the last few weeks we've been speaking to Qatari officials about, whether they're from the Ministry of Defense or the Ministry of Interior, whether they're from the Supreme Committee or FIFA, and asking them whether they think they have enough arrangements in place They've been showing us what these arrangements are, and by the looks of it, it looks like they have covered pretty much most of the bases. What kind of security threats keep them up at night? What are we talking about? Something global? Something local? So there is everything which could turn into a security threat. Everything. That's a scary starting point, isn't it, for an event when you think, <laughs> OK, everything could be a security threat. Well, you, you threat. come to think of it, if there's a malfunction in the queue that you're going through and you create a bottleneck and there are hundreds of people queuing up behind you, right. you go to a vending machine and there's a few vending machines that go off. Most of the stadiums in Qatar are air-conditioned. What if the air conditioning goes off? And so on and so forth. What if you're coming out of the game and there is no transport and there's something that doesn't work. So there is everything that could potentially be a security threat and that is why a lot of security arrangements are being put into place to make sure every single one of them is not just accounted for but they have plans B and C in case things go wrong. Do they sound confident? You said you've been chatting with them. How confident do they say they are that they're ready to take on the possibility of everything becoming a security threat in this Mondial. I was talking to a brigadier in the Royal Air Force and my question to him was that 
do you really need this much security or is it blown out of proportion? And he laughed and he said to me that, look, there is security. We know Qatar is a secure place. There are robust checks and balances about who enters the country, who leaves the country, what people do in the country. But it always helps to have another layer. And that is what I feel the organizers have been doing in the last 12 years, going after every possible aspect, whether it's from cybersecurity, whether it's crowd control, whether it's street management, whether it's having enough people in boots and uniforms to make sure that the rowdy people don't disrupt the peace-loving fans. So that is all that I've been hearing from them about how they've been preparing, how they've been sending people abroad, how they've been bringing information and experiences from other countries to Qatar. And then they are quite confident that they've got almost everything covered and they think that it is going to be a really fun and unique event. Talking about unique and unusual, how unusual is it to have so many foreign personnel involved in the security operation? Because there's countries from East and West. This is a really unique cup because it is happening in a country which is in the part of the world which is usually in the headlines for all the wrong reasons. You don't hear about the fun festivals and the street festivals and the concerts and the museums of Qatar. You usually hear about how there has been trouble in the Middle East. So this is why they have taken it upon themselves to change that image of the Middle East while hosting the cup in a peaceful way. So we've been hearing from military personnel, not just Qatari, but 13 other countries are taking part. They have signed six agreements with international militaries who are here, who've held events before, who who have expertise on the ground. These jets and four others that are already there will police the skies above Qatar's eight World Cup stadiums, protecting fans, players and the public, including, of course, thousands of England and Wales supporters. Take us through the roles, Osama. You mentioned there they've signed a bunch of agreements with a bunch of countries. What kind of roles will those countries be playing during the security operation? I think what the Qataris have done is something really smart. What they've done is they've picked and chosen from the best that each country has to offer. I was with the Royal Air Force, with the UK, who brought in a squadron of eight typhoons. I've spoken to Turkish personnel who have expertise in crowd control and who wear anti-riot gear. We saw there was a Turkish specialized unit which came in to defuse a bomb while there was a practice game at play. So what the Qataris have done is they are now using the expertise of the personnel who've been involved in similar events, albeit not on the same scale, and bringing it all together under a unified chain of command so they have a vast arsenal to play with if and when things go wrong. That's quite a diverse lineup, isn't it? The Brits, the Turks. How are all these forces going to work together? How are they going to be coordinated? So essentially what they've done is that each part of these divisions have been given a specific role. The Pakistanis, for instance, are bringing in more than 4,500 security personnel, essentially from the armed forces. They'll be distributed between the Ministry of Interior, the Ministry of Defense, and some will be playing specialized roles. The Turks, for instance, they have not just brought in canine units, but also horse-mounted police. The British have brought in the typhoons, as I said. The Americans have multiple layers of support as well. I was at the command and control 
control center where I not only met people from cybersecurity, but there was a bunch of guys sitting quietly in the corner who apparently can bring down drones quite peacefully and nobody would know that they've brought it down. Incredible. And you know, the security operation, I guess it includes arrangements that you might not immediately think of when you talk about a football event. You've mentioned the Air Force. I also read a statement by the British Royal Navy that they're coming to participate in security. Is such a wide operation necessary? What will the Navy and Air Force be doing? This was my question to a lot of military personnel, that if I hear about jets and tanks and warships, should I be concerned? Right. So this is something that all of them have unanimously said, whether it was the Pakistani, whether it was the Turks, whether it was the Spanish, whether it was the Brits, they've all said that out of sight and out of mind. The Air Force people I met, they told me, that we're not going to be breaking the sound barrier over Doha or over any of the stadiums. You're not going to see warships docked, but you're going to see cruise ships docked around Qatar. So their role is going to be in the background. And they said to me that from a security perspective, a successful event is when everything goes to plan and you don't even know that they're there. So just in case... But I'm still wondering, Osama, what is the just-in-case scenario that they're worried about? Well, like I said, this is a neighborhood which is known to be dangerous, right? You're coming off of the back of a blockade. There are fissure lines which run deep into the conflicts of this region. So there are a lot of things that if you start putting red flags on, you could do it. And that is why they're not pulling any stops. That's Mm. why the security arrangements, that's why the budgeting for this, that's why the personnel for this, it's all a bit over-exaggerated. But the idea behind it is that all the fans that are coming in, the residents of Qatar, the nationals of Qatar, and all of the people who are going to be enjoying this cup with their families should have peace of mind that everything that they can think of has probably has already been thought of and there are plans in place to deal with it if things go wrong. Interesting. That's a really interesting thought and point. I'll tell you what, Osama, let's take a break now, but we will be right back. I'm Charles Dance, your narrator for Hindsight, Al Jazeera's original docudrama series. In season five, we meet Diego Maradona. He is often described as having been touched by the divine. But looking back, the man was no saint. Hindsight from Al Jazeera, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, guys, welcome back. We've got to talk about another challenge, Osama. More than a million fans, right, expected to attend. How are they going to be managed? That in itself is a huge security operation, right? Absolutely. It's not just about how to manage the fans. So you have to think of everything. This is a country with approximately 3 million people. So about a third of its population is going to be coming in during the cup. That's a good point. We're not talking about a million in a country of 100 million. Absolutely. So you're talking about almost a third of the population of this entire country coming to this country in a matter of four to six weeks. The national airline of Qatar has had to change its model on its head. Rather than dealing with 80% of transit passengers, it's going to be dealing with 80% arrivals. The airports have had to change completely. It had to refurbish the old airport. It has had to expand the Hamad International Airport. 
just so that people can come in comfortably. What happens when they come in? It has had to make infrastructure, roads, railways, everything that can accommodate those people and hotel rooms. The controversy about there are not enough hotel rooms, it started flights multiple times a day from all of the neighboring countries so people could stay in and come back and forth on a 45-minute flight. And then, of course, the task of getting the people into the stadium and out of the stadium safely as well. You've seen what happened in Paris when there were stampedes, when fans got rowdy. You've seen what happened in India. Indonesia in the last month where people walked onto the field and then when police fired tear gas they left and there was a stampede there so all of those scenarios have been taken into account what is very unique is that this all of this is happening in a very confined space it's not one city here and 3 hour flight to another city or another country it is all within doha so you can go from stadium to stadium in less than an hour and this has given them a unique opportunity to have a remote control command center which controls all eight stadiums it's fascinating it is connected to 200000 units from air conditioning to electronic gates to signs and signals on the screens where they are not just using human potential but they are also using artificial intelligence to not just think of how crowds will form and how they will be dispersed but also how to mobilize their support staff on the ground if there is any trouble and this is an unusual world cup as well isn't it what sort of measures are in place to stop the spread of covid-19 we got to think about security a little bit differently this year haven't we absolutely i think you know this is probably one of the largest events that's going to happen after the pandemic and i think by and large the pandemic seems to be behind us yes we are hearing cases even now the strains of the virus have become weaker it's become more of a bad flu although there are still deaths reported in some parts so by and large in terms of the pandemic the restrictions are quite relaxed you don't necessarily need to wear masks although you see a lot of people wearing masks because of the pandemic it also was an opportunity for this country to expand on its medical facilities to expand on it how it responds to a pandemic and emergencies i remember this day in a matter of few weeks they established tent hospitals with the help of the military when there was a large number of cases which broke out during the pandemic so it does seem to have the experience of how to deal with a threat like this and of course there is a threat of biological warfare as well so there are checks and balances i've been told which are in place at all the port and entry points in qatar where they are going to be screening for everything not just uh, sniffer dogs but also scanners that have multiple colors and they light up like a christmas tree when your bag goes through them and they essentially know what are the chemicals inside so there is a lot of technology behind all of this and it seems that they are going to try to mitigate all of these threats that they might expect or they might fear might happen and there seems to be a system in place to make sure that they have some sort of an idea of how to deal with them I was about to ask you whether organizers are kind of looking back at what happened at the Champions League match in May and how worried they are about things like crowd crushes, gangs, muggings and even heavy-handed security responses. So these are all concerns that we've discussed with them at length. So the one thing that is very different is that in Europe for instance it is very easy for large groups of people to move around and congregate that is why there's the hire app that unless you are somebody who's bought the ticket 
unless you're somebody who are either part of Qatar or resident or a national of Qatar, you won't be moving in and out of this country. So that's one. So that limits the number of people who are in. On top of that, they have exchanged lists, whether it's Interpol, whether it's UK security, whether it's German security or French security, of people who are known to be troublemakers, and they have excluded them from coming to this country. And then the extra layer is all of these apps, which allow them access to real-time data so that they can take those decisions based on the movement of people and artificial intelligence models behind it actually tell them that where are those crowds forming. For instance, I asked the guy who, what are you going to do if, let's say, 100 people go into the different queue of where they're supposed to go? Exactly. They're not VIP ticket holders. And 100 people decide they're going to try their luck and go to a VIP ticket line. And they said what they're going to do is that if there is one, two, or three multiple attempts at a queue rather than it creating a bottleneck, they're going to have a team of volunteers that are going to be standing by and making sure that the people are queuing up into the right queue or they're being guided onto the next one. So that is going to be happening simultaneously in all stadiums when the game's going to place. Similarly, when the fans go out, there have been fan zones where there is going to be availability of alcohol as well. So they're going to make sure the entry and exit of those places is guarded and manned by security personnel. There's a big-time, real-time monitoring effort going on, in other words. Absolutely. And they've been preparing for this for the last 12 years, I've been told. I've seen the control room. I've seen how they found us, essentially, from a four-day-old feed in Lucille Stadium. So it kind of works. We've seen it in action. The real test is when the games begin and when there are hundreds of thousands of people milling about in this small country. Are they confident they can keep out any hooligans? Because let's face it, football does have a long history of association with hooliganism in some parts of the world, doesn't it? Sami, you and I both have had our fair share of interviewing officials. I have yet to meet one (laughs) military official who would say, no, 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 we're not confident. I think it's just not going to be right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, there was a bit of controversy going back to the Champions League match over counterfeit tickets. And I'm just wondering, are they looking into that here in Qatar? I think there is a system in place. That is what FIFA officials have told us and the security committee as well, that they are going to crack down. In fact, there was a story just out in the last few hours about somebody being arrested for reselling tickets we're not supposed to. But there are checks and balances. And you see, from the moment you enter this country, the same application that is going to allow you access to the stadium and the public areas and the public transportation is essentially your ticket, which is going to be built into your profile with your mobile phone. There is a lot less chance of counterfeits, but obviously, whenever somebody makes a lock, somebody is already planning to break the lock. And we've got to think about security from a different angle as well. When you think about a million fans, that's a lot of human needs, food, drink, etc. All of that has to be secured. I was reading some studies that put it in the top five security concerns at a match. Well, I think people need to be prepared that their favorite flavor of gum might not be available. 
But besides that, I think there are lots and lots of things. I don't know if you've recently been to the Corniche. Uh, that is the area around the main city of Doha where people go in for walks. It's been cordoned off as a pedestrian area. There are lots of stalls coming up there as well. And what happened a few years ago in this country was essentially a blessing in disguise for them where they had to go through a really strict blockade where the country had to stock up on supplies and make sure that it has a lot of options in terms of supply and chain available at a drop of a hat so that it can attend to the needs of its people. So they've already had a bit of a uh, dry run at uh, managing supplies in a crisis scenario. Absolutely. So food essentials, they now have, if you remember the story of the flying cows, they essentially have their own dairy industry. How can we forget that? Yes. The cows flown in. Not quite sure if it was Absolutely. true though, flown in first class tickets, but flown in very quickly. I haven't seen their vanity kits here, so I'm not quite sure yet as well. But yes, so imagine the essentials. So in terms of having enough water, in terms of having enough food, in terms of making sure that people are fed and that is accessible through all areas in this country, that system is in place. So yes, there might be a shortage of your favorite gum, of your favorite brand of snacks, but they've made sure that nobody will sleep hungry and people will be, have enough around them to have a good time and make sure that they're enjoying themselves as well. There's been some concerns about the compact nature of the stadium layout. What are officials saying about that? Well, it is a challenge and an opportunity. The compact nature of the World Cup, having all of the stadiums in a close-by range means that they have the opportunity to build a state-of-the-art artificial intelligence employing remote control command and control center. On the flip side, it also means a lot of people going to and leaving these places at the same time. And that is why they're managing times, they're allocating how people will go in, they're actually trying to keep people towards those areas where their stadiums are, where they're going to be staying as well. So essentially three hours before the match, that is when people start trickling in and that is when people have been asked to come in. That is why there's a team of tens of thousands of volunteers at every step of the way where there will be people to guide people who are coming to Qatar for the first time to essentially tell them where to go and what to do. And then there are the electronic guides and all the online material that is available to guide people towards their destinations. And there is a question about how they're going to provide security for 32 teams in what is, let's face it, a small city, a small country, right? A lot of high-profile people. I can tell you that the security officials I've been speaking to have been talking about how the team movements are going to be very carefully orchestrated. In fact, when we were there, when they were holding a security drill, there was a bus which was essentially carrying an official team where they had a drill where the fans just overcrowded and overpowered from all directions this team and how then security forces went into, into that area, cordoned it off, allowed it to pass through and disperse the crowd. So those are systems that are already in place. There are specialized units from Qatar and other countries as well, which are essentially taking care of VIP security, where there is going to be smooth movement of teams. There have been special routes and special permits that have been allocated to the VIPs, to the teams, their managers and the support staff, so they can go to the stadium and come out of the stadium peacefully and without hassle. 
Will the games be setting new heights when it comes to tech? I was reading about some of the tech they're incorporating, facial recognition technology, the Moroccan press has been talking about sending cybersecurity units to the games. Take us through this stuff. What's going on? There's a lot of tech behind all of this. So from the very onset of the app that you have to involve that gives you access to public places, public transport, to the artificial intelligence which is running behind it. As I mentioned earlier that we were in a security drill in Lusail Stadium where the final is going to be. And when I went to the command center a couple of days later, I said, okay, I was there, can you find me? And within a matter of about half an hour, they were able to not just locate us, but look at us from different angles of the camera and actually zoom into each one of the 80,000 seats in that stadium. So there is a lot of tech at play here, which is not going just to be helping in maintain the premises and the facilities, but also it will have a crucial role in everything that is related to security as well. This sounds like some kind of Jedi mind powers. Star Wars fans will know what I'm talking about. Listen, Osama, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for the chat. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And thank you too for listening, guys. This episode was co-produced by Salim Aliafei and our intern, Neda Shakir. Sound design was by George Alwir. Our engagement producer is Ayal Malik and assistant engagement producer Munira Dosari. The executive producer, of course, Omar Saleh and head of audio, Ney Alvarez. I'm your host, Sami Zaydan. For now, it's goodbye. <laughs>